0: Thank you, Mr. McNair, and greetings, everyone, particularly all around the world, since the brethren will be seeing this in videotape later on. But uh, here in Charlotte, we're having a wonderful rain and also beautiful cherry blossoms along the street outside. It's just been a a glorious spring. It reminds us that uh, new life is coming when the spring uh, comes here, too. And In fact, today, do you know what today is other than a day of fasting? Uh, Today is the third day of the first month in God's sacred calendar. And, of course, that means just 11 days from now we'll be observing the New Testament Passover. And the very fact that we observe God's calendar keeps us mindful of the one who's created time. God created time. In Genesis 1 and verse 14, he said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons for days in years so how many people around the world are even aware of God's calendar you might even ask how many people are there around the world well at about one o'clock this afternoon the world population clock estimated that the population of the world is six billion seven hundred sixty nine million six hundred and thirteen thousand four hundred thirteen so now you know the population of the world as of about one o'clock this afternoon But in this end time, out of that 6.7 billion people, God has only called a handful, relative handful, of people to do His work. And He's training people in a way of life that produces peace, happiness, prosperity, and abundant living. And part of that training includes overcoming human nature, overcoming Satan, overcoming the ways of this world. And throughout that process, God creates in us His perfect, righteous character. And sometimes that process is painful because the realities of this world are always painful. I won't turn there, but Romans 8.18, you may be familiar with, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. So while we suffer, we have the vision of the future that God is going to glorify us, and sometimes he corrects us. He corrects us in love, as it tells us in Hebrews 12 and verse 11. So God gave us his calendar. He gave us the annual festivals and holy days to keep us in mind of his plan of salvation. We understand that plan, and we're very relative few people, as I mentioned before, perhaps one out of a 100,000, or some, depending on how you calculate it, uh, maybe one out of two or 300,000 people on the face of the earth, who know the truth, who know why they're here, who know who they are, who know what their potential is, and who know what their ultimate destiny is. We are certainly blessed to have that knowledge, but it also, of course, brings along with it a great responsibility. Today, we're humbling ourselves by fasting, and Dr. Meredith wrote in the February 20th World Ahead Bulletin the following. Why a church fast at this time? We feel that a church fast would be especially appropriate at this time because so many of our brethren are getting weak and sickly and deeply need God's healing. I hesitated to call a fast because I did not want to focus on my personal problem. I might interject here that uh, Dr. Meredith, as most of you know, has had the stroke and brethren around the world have been praying for him. And uh, I know he feels frustrated that he should be doing more. that he's, he's not doing as much as he should. But I told them that he normally does the work of four people, and now he's only doing the work of two people. So he surely is really, God is still using him tremendously. And I hope that all of you here and all around the world will continue to pray for him because God is using him in his leadership, and we all deeply appreciate that. He continues in the letter. However, quite a number of serious illnesses are coming to the fore, and as I have studied and prayed intensively more than ever the last few months, it is obvious that we should be drawing closer to God and crying out to Him for the gifts of healing, discernment of spirits, and casting out of demons. Mark 16, verses 15 through 20. As the power of the scope and scope of the work increases, it is obvious that we really should have the accompanying signs. That's in verse 17 of Mark 16. So keep in mind some of the phrases that I'm going to mention here accompanying signs. That's Mark 16 verse 17. And in support of that goal that Dr. Meredith mentioned in the calling the fast day, I'm going to make a request of all of our brethren here and around the world and that is to pray for more signs, wonders, healings and miracles. Those are four words plus the accompanying signs. Why? Well, we'll answer that question later in the sermon, and I think most of you already know the answer. Dr. Meredith continues in his February 20th call for a church fast. Quote, Also, we do need to draw closer to God in order to have his blessings on the work and on his people as a whole. Many of our people or brethren are in financial straitjacket. Some are losing their jobs or are unable to find a job in the first place. Knowing that the greatest financial crisis in 60 years is now upon us, we truly should be praying, fasting, and crying out to God for one another and for his blessing on the work. And we need a deep sense of humility and faith in the blood of Jesus Christ and in his leadership as our high priest and living head, especially as the Passover approaches. So today, on March 28th, brethren around the world are humbling themselves by fasting They have already heard, or will soon hear, Dr. Meredith's sermon given here in Charlotte three weeks ago, and the sermon was titled, Build an Atmosphere of Faith. So today I want to follow up on that sermon with a message titled, Fasting and Faith. Uh, Some of my points will overlap with his sermon, but as Mr. Herbert Armstrong said years, years ago, repetition is the strongest form of emphasis. Most of us have fasted at least once in our life. For we members of God's church, uh, that may have been the Day of Atonement last year. But what lessons have you learned through your fasting? Uh, perhaps you learn how physical you are. And at the moment, my mouth feels like cotton, so I don't know if that's a lesson I need to learn or not. Where's Dr. Meredith's tea that he normally has here? <clears throat> but you know just how physical you are. I uh, introduced my friends uh, years ago. He was a teenager, and that was before I went to Ambassador College. And I introduced him to the Day of Atonement I may have told him about and told him that this is a day of fasting, no water or no food for 24 hours. I thought, I will die if I don't have food or water. But you realize, and I don't know if I told him, of course, that Moses fasted for 40 days, no, not just once. Jesus fasted for 40 days. Elijah fasted for 40 days. And, of course, Moses fasted for 40 days twice. Now, I want to all give you a warning. Do not try that. (laughs) I know that gives you a great sense of relief. You don't have that obligation on you anymore. But I know that uh, I've learned many lessons through fasting, and I hope you will too. But one thing we need to learn is that fasting is a way of life and I suspect that is not a way of life with many of us even here in this congregation or even our brethren around the world but Jesus did say you know when you fast don't be as the hypocrites he was one who fasted he set the example he fasted 40 days he said okay I'm not going to my disciples aren't going to fast while the bridegroom is with them you know this is a special occasion a time for feasting, but there's a time for fasting as well. Who do you think of in the Bible who fasted? Of course, there are many. i could give you a little test and see how many you can remember of the uh, biblical heroes and heroines. Let's take a look at one in Luke, the second chapter. Some of the biblical examples of people who fasted. Luke 2, and verse 36. Here, Jesus was the little baby, and he'd... uh, had his circumcision the eighth day, and was taken up to the temple for the dedication. Luke, the second chapter. And there were remarkable incidences at the temple to, that were inspired by God, and one of those was that Anna the prophetess came along. Luke, the second chapter, and verse 36. Luke 2, verse 36. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served. How did she serve? Served God with fastings and prayers night and day. She was one who dedicated herself as a way of serving God. Not everyone can do it that way. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in at that instant, where Mary and Joseph and Jesus were there, came in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of Him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. There are all these signs and testimonies that this child is special. This child is the Messiah. And you read through the whole chapter, Luke, the second chapter, how Simeon came along and he was promised that he was going to be able to hold the Messiah in his arms before he died. Can you imagine the blessing, the the privilege of, of being able to do that? That was a wonderful blessing that he had. But here was Anna the prophetess, one who fasted. Now let's take a look at another example in Acts, the tenth chapter. Anna, the prophetess, fa- served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Acts, the 10th chapter, you should probably immediately remember Peter and the unclean animals and the sheep and the vision he had and how God said, the lesson is, you shall call no man unclean. And so, he was called to the house of Cornelius. Here was the Gentile that Peter visited. And, of course, it was not kosher uh, that period of time for... Jews to interact with the Gentiles in this way. Acts 10 and verse 30. Cornelius was a centurion, uh, as it brings out uh, earlier. Verse 30, so Cornelius said, Four days ago, what? I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, saying, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms, his gifts and offerings and service to others, are remembered in the sight of God. Here was a Gentile who feared God, who was a serving individual, and yet who also fasted. And so, of course, what happened at that time, then Simon preached to him. And then later on, in verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation... Whoever fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. You now, if we fear God, we have the reverence and awe of the reality of who and what God He is. He's God Almighty. He has all power in the universe. So here was the special event, a historic event. And what happened? Verse 44, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit upon fell upon all those who heard the word, And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Now this was unusual, they were receiving the Holy Spirit, but then, well, no need for baptism, right? Wrong. Can anyone forbid water, verse 47, that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. So here was Anna the prophetess who fasted. Cornelius is one who feared God and was fasting. And, of course, you know someone else in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, who experienced fastings often. Let's take a look at uh, that in Acts, the 14th chapter. Acts, the 14th uh, chapter, over a few pages. Here in uh, verse nineteen he was in Lystra, and you know he was attacked uh, by the c- citizens of that community. He was stoned that he was rocks were thrown against his head and crushed him against his rib cage, and he was left for dead. They dragged him out of the de- the city, thinking he was dead but notice in uh, verse uh, twenty one and when they had preached to the gospel to that city and made disciples, uh, well, let me back up here. Um, Verse 19, I forgot the the end of the story. Uh, Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitude, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up, went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. So here God just raised him up. Whether he's really dead or not, we don't know but he certainly uh, appeared to be dead. And God raised him up and he goes right back into the city. And when they preached the gospel to that city and many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And so that happens to us. Uh, we We all know that. We all counted the cost when we were baptized knowing that we would face trials and tribulations in our life. Verse 23. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So here again is another comment on fasting. I might just mention, how many of you have seen Dr. Meredith's commentary on our website that was just posted yesterday? Uh, titled, uh, By Prayer and Fasting. How many of you have seen that commentary? Okay, we had about 8.5% have seen that commentary. I want to encourage the rest of you who have access to our website to read uh, Dr. Meredith's commentary on our website, uh, Prayer and Fasting. Uh, For those of you uh, around the world who will get this sermon later, uh, you can always go to our tab that says Commentaries, Click on it and then go to the commentary library and you'll be able to get this commentary about prayer and fasting later on. Here is what Dr. Meredith says in the current commentary on our website. Jesus taught his disciples to give generously from the heart and to pray to God continually. Notice that he had said, moreover, when we fast, Matthew 6.16, he did not say, if you fast. He took it for granted that his disciples would fast. Christ said, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, how many of you uh, disfigure your face today to appear to be fasting? (laughs) Uh, We may be groaning, but not uh, purposely. Um, Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. In other words, the hypocrite's reward is whatever praise they receive from other people for showing off their fasting. Dr. Meredith continues, we Christians are not to punish ourselves thinking that this will force God to hear our prayers. And there have been political people around the world who've gone on a hunger strike to use that as a political tool to persuade others. That's not a godly fast. God is not interested in penance. Just, that is just as if you or I would take whips and beat others each other's backs saying look at our suffering God so hear us the idea behind our fasting is quite different from that we seek the invisible God we fast to humble ourselves to make ourselves realize how weak we are you know I I, I started having weak knees yesterday even before I started fasting I don't know <laughs> what the, if that was the anticipation or what <clears throat> But uh, we fast to humble ourselves to make ourselves realize how weak we are and that we are little children, saying in effect, Father, we are up against a great army and there are great forces around us. We don't always know what we should do, and we need your help. We need your guidance. We need your deliverance. Please help us to draw near to you. So I hope you can all uh, see that uh, and read that commentary by prayer and fasting. Well, here we are in Acts, the 14th chapter, and we saw that <clears throat> the elders <clears throat> excuse me had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting let 's turn to second corinthians the eleventh chapter, and again we have a summary of paul 's uh, sufferings second corinthians <clears throat> the eleventh chapter he was taking upon him in a sense christ 's sufferings second corinthians the eleventh chapter <clears throat> start in uh, verse 22 he was being accused by his critics and so he's responding are they hebrews so am i are they israelites so am i are they the seed of abraham so am i are they ministers of christ i speak as a fool i am more in labors more abundant in stripes above measure In prisons more frequently in deaths often from the jews five times i received 40 stripes minus one Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, among false brethren. In weariness, and toil, in sleeplessness often. In hunger and thirst, in fastings often. Probably not uh, uh, voluntary. In cold and nakedness, besides the other things that come upon me, my deep concern for all the churches. So the Apostle Paul really went through it, but he persevered through his tests and through his trials. Let's take a look at some other examples of of fasting. One is brought out here in Matthew, the 17th chapter. So we've seen Anna and Cornelius, and, uh, of course, the Apostle Paul is one who humbled himself through fasting and even uh, fasted before appointing elders in the church. Matthew, the 17th chapter, and verse 14. Here is a boy that was healed. And verse 14 of Matthew 17. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, "'Lord, have mercy on my son.'" For he's an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And I hope Jesus would not say that to us. Are we a faithless generation? I hope that we are men, women, and children Boys and girls of faith. And Jesus rebuked the demon, verse 18, and it came out of it. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said, Because of your unbelief. And of course, some of you know that song. I won't try to sing it. I believe for every drop of rain that falls, a flower grows. There, let's see, some of you are waking up now. So... (laughs) So... You think, what is it that you believe in? I've assigned or encouraged people in the church before to write a paper on what I believe. And I've had some very good comments back from people. The exercise is very revealing and it's also very comforting, very encouraging. So I would encourage you, yet again, those of you around the world, to sometime write an article. Write down your thoughts. What do you believe? What are your solid beliefs? There may be areas in which you have kind of a vague belief. But where are you strong in belief? Jesus said to them, they could not cast him out because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out, but except by fasting and prayer, or prayer and fasting. So, do you have the faith that you could move a mountain? I remember, I don't know if I've told that story, and I don't know if I should, but I remember that I had a garage full of boxes, and oh, we had cum- cum- accumulated a lot uh, over a period of time. And I said, Boxes, Move! And I think it was about uh, six months later, we moved from Pasadena to (laughs) Houston, and those boxes moved. So, I know one minister minister said one time, look, if you're going to say mountain move, and it doesn't, then you have to take a wheelbarrow up to the top and take the first shovel full. So, there are times, if there are mountains... And the mountain doesn't move, sometimes we have to take the first shovelful. But in this demon case, uh, Jesus said, This kind does not go out but by prayer and fasting. I was wondering whether to tell you this story or not, but I, I talked with Dr. Meredith and he thought it might be okay. You know, some years ago, uh, Dr. Meredith, Dr. Armstrong, Mr. Herbert Armstrong, uh, instructed the ministry, it was a summertime, to fast for three days. Now, fasting for one day is one thing, but fasting for three days is another. But since the boss said so, uh, you know, I did so. And it was shortly after that that uh, one of our neighbors called, and uh, her husband was missing. He was out in the woods somewhere and asked me, and I think my wife and I went to help, and we found him out in the woods, um, brought him back to his home. And uh, he seemed to be in conversation, that seemed to be somewhat normal. And we're carrying on talking about uh, a mutual friend. And then all of a sudden I realized this isn't the man speaking, this is a demon speaking. And uh, suddenly that demon got a little nasty with me and said, I'm going to wear you down. And I said, Jesus Christ is going to wear you down. And I commanded the Spirit to come out, and within, I don't know, a couple hours, uh, the wife called me back and said he was back, my, her husband was back to normal. But that was happened because of a three-day fast that, that occurred beforehand, and God gave me that faith at that time. There was no question, I had no hesitation to co- come back at that demon. And, of course, there are times uh, throughout history and um, Dr. Meredith just done a uh, telecast, of course, taped on uh, Satan and his demons. And we'll probably see more demon activity as time goes on. But the lesson is prayer and fasting do lead to increased faith. And I think that many of us have learned that lesson. But how many of of us, as I've asked before, have learned that fasting is a way of life for Christians? Do you just go through from Day of Atonement to Day of Atonement and the rest of the time fasting is no issue with you it's not even on the radar screen well we should have learned by now that fasting is a way of life I, I confess to you I do not like to fast and if anyone here likes to fast please see me afterwards uh, I want to know who you are or what anyway um, but, we re, but remember uh, Mr. Meredith's commentary Uh, Jesus taught his disciples to give generously from the heart and to pray to God continually. Notice that he said, Moreover, when you fast, not if you fast. Turn to Matthew, the ninth chapter. Matthew 9. Jesus was questioned about uh, fasting. And, uh, of course, it is expected that we do fast. When and how often is up to you how you do that. I know uh, Dr. Meredith has suggested to uh, the ministers and leaders that we should be fasting once a month in general. But again, that's just a guideline. It's, it's your decision as to how often you fast. And of course, for elderly people and others who have health issues, uh, you know they have to take those things into consideration. Uh, I know that some who are in the hospital are suffering. I know one man I visited in the hospital in Houston some years ago, who uh, all he had for 40 days was ice and water. And I guess he he must have been fed intravenously, uh, but that's all he experienced in ingesting was ice and water for 40 days. You say, well, you, was he afflicting his soul? <laughs> I think he was afflicted, uh, you know, for 40 days. He didn't do it purposely. Uh, that was just his situation. But for those of us who are healthy, those of us who want to draw closer to God, Uh, Fasting is a way of doing that. Uh, Verse 14 of uh, Matthew, the ninth chapter. Then the disciples of John came to him and said, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Verse 15, Matthew 9. And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then they will fast. And of course, it's not just a matter of form, but there has to be a substance change. And that's why Jesus said what he did in the next two verses. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. In other words, you need to change. You don't do fasting as just a formality. There has to be a heartfelt change and a heartfelt purpose in your fasting. How else can we grow in faith? Well, we've seen that fasting is uh, combined with prayer, and uh, that is a way that we grow in faith. Let's turn to Acts, the fifth chapter. Acts 5, and we find that another way of growing in faith is simply by obedience, doing what God says. Acts 5 and verse 32. Here, Peter and John were, well, this is later than that. Uh, the apostles were on trial. Uh, again, in uh, verse 22, and uh, part of the answer was Peter and the other apostles answered in verse 29 of Acts 5 we ought to obey God rather than men because they were trying to tell him not to preach anymore in Christ's name the God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you murdered by hanging on a tree You know Peter was not bashful about what he was saying him God has exalted to his right hand to be Prince and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins notice verse 32 And we are His witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, which it should read, God has given to those who obey Him. Obedience is a part of growing in faith. You say, I don't have much faith. Well, if you're obeying God, God is going to give you faith. Many of us have had to step out in faith. When you first came into the church and you learned about the Sabbath and you knew that you might lose your job because you kept the Sabbath. And even this past year, many of our brethren had to face the challenge of losing their jobs or even being penalized academically because they went to the Feast of Tabernacles. But they had the faith and courage to obey God and to seek His kingdom first of all. Turn to uh, Ecclesiastes, the 12th chapter, Ecclesiastes 12. King Solomon had experienced it all. The carnal men dream about men, women, and I mean wine women the uh, song. And, uh, and the other is, well, pervert, perverse people. But uh, here in Ecclesiastes, right after the book of Psalms and Proverbs, we find the conclusion of all of his experiment. He had money. He had choral singers. He had construction projects. He had huge agricultural programs. He experimented with Everything. And at the end, he said, all is vanity. All is vanity. But he did come to a conclusion in Ecclesiastes 13, and starting with verse 13. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. Or the NIV has, for this is the whole duty, in brackets, of man. The NRSV has... For that is the whole duty of everyone. You become the whole person by fearing God and keeping His commandments. After all of his experimentation, Solomon learned a profound lesson. At least he shared it with us. Whether he eternally learned it is another question. But this is the whole man. This is man's all. This is man's duty. This is the whole duty of man. How can we grow in faith? Through fasting through obeying God and also through Bible study and understanding the Word of God. Let's turn to Romans the 10th chapter. I could just quote it, Romans 10, 17, but let's read it. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. How does that happen? Well, when you read about salvation history, when you read about God's intervention, how He saved a whole nation of probably 3 million people, brought them through the Red Sea, all the other miracles God uh, performed when, uh, when the kings would fast, when uh, Jerusalem was surrounded, and the one time uh, when God sent angels to kill 185,000 uh, Syrian, Syrian soldiers. You no, know God preserved whole nations and people and intervened dramatically and miraculously when people fasted and humbled themselves. But when you read those stories and those are true stories of how God intervened, Uh, then that helps you grow in confidence and in faith. And I hope that uh, many of you, I've asked the question before here, how many of you have completed the Tomorrow's World Bible Study Course? Let me ask again, how many of you have completed the Tomorrow's World Bible Study Course? Oh, okay, quite about uh, 25%, very good. So uh, the others of you, I hope you'll uh, complete that uh, program. I uh, was... uh, hitting my wife the other day, anyway she's, she uh, told me she had made certain progress in a certain lesson, and I was very pleased with that and rewarded her. <laughs> so uh, I hope that you all will work on your Bible studies, and uh, maybe someone will reward you so <clears throat> and of course, we also know that uh, prayer is another way. Um, Let's turn to First Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, First Thessalonians five. Now, how often do you pray? I hope you pray regularly, of course, on your knees regularly, but also throughout the day. And uh, you may pray dozens of times throughout the day. Uh, as I've told you the story before, that uh, you know, in emergency situations, your prayer may be help, and you know that's a Uh, involuntary uh, prayer and God intervenes for you. I almost had an accident yesterday, but thankfully God protected me. I'm just very, very thankful for that. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 and uh, verse 16. You read the whole chapter here. Rejoice always. Again, we've had sermons on that subject. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Pray without ceasing. Well, that doesn't mean you are continuously talking 24-7, it means that you are in an attitude of prayer continually and that you can be instant in prayer That any moment that you need to get in touch with God, you need His attention, that you can pray and you know that God will hear because He's there. He's listening to your every word. He knows your every thoughts. He knows your every emotion. He knows every hair on your head. He knows all about you every second of every day. And so, if you have that confidence, you've surrendered your life to God, then, of course, you can pray to Him instantly. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What is God's will? To pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Do not quench the Spirit. So, we have various ways that we can grow in faith, and we know those. And uh, sometimes we get lax in prayer I know one individual responded, uh, called my wife and <clears throat> uh, mentioned the uh, article in the April March-April LCN, and I hope that you have also read that, <clears throat> Self-Examination of Idle Key. I'm sorry, I have, <clears throat> I have clipped here a cartoon. I didn't mean to uh, do that, but since I've shared it with you, I'll tell you what it is. <clears throat> it's uh, BC, the comic strip. And uh, it's a Wiley's Dictionary. So he's got his dictionary out, and he's reading it. Sermon, noun, definition, an inspired message directed mainly at those who are not in attendance. <laughs> <laughs> i <I'll> tell you, <laughs> how, how many times we ministers have said that, you know, that so-and-so is not here today. So-and-so needed to hear that sermon. Anyway... <clears throat> but I hope that you uh, will read, if you've not read uh, the one on self-examination. There are 12 different uh, points to uh, self-examination. You still have 11 days in uh, preparing one of them, if I find it here in listing, or prayer. Uh, ex- this is on page 6 of our current March-April Living Church News. Examine your pattern and practice of prayer during the past year. Have you let a day go by without praying to your Father in Heaven? If you did, you had another God before the true God. You transgressed the first commandment. One individual called my wife and said he'd read that. He didn't really—that would really shocked him. He didn't realize that he had done that, and uh, it was—he's uh, going to change his life dramatically. He's not going to let a day go by without praying. And of course, sometimes that—if uh, you're unconscious, you know—you can be excused. Uh, for 24 hours, but otherwise, uh, you've got to be close to God 24 hours a day. There's a humorous poem uh, years ago, some of you have heard about, heard it uh, years ago, but it's only sometimes when we're in trouble uh, that we call out to God, and this humorous poem is by Sam Walter Foss. It illustrates uh, our need to pray when uh, we have troubles. Uh, he describes the conventional wisdom that one must pray either on his knees, which of course... We should do. That's what the Bible emphasized. Jesus prayed on his knees. He prostrated himself. There are times Solomon prayed when he was standing and raised his arms up and the dedication uh, prayer to the temple. Uh, so you can pray walking. You can pray in your bed, although it's not always advisable to pray in bed. But uh, nonetheless, uh, here's uh, what uh, Cyrus Brown said. You're talking about outstretched arms or with head bowed or with hands clasped. But Cyrus Brown described his plight when he fell headlong into a well. Last year I fell in Hodgkin's well head first, said Cyrus Brown, with both my heels a-stickin' up and my head a-pointin' down. And I made a prayer right then and there, the best prayer I ever said, the prayingest prayer I ever prayed a-standin' on my head. So there are times when we are motivated to pray. But if we are regularly in touch with God, it is not a problem, it's not a challenge, it comes to us naturally. And yet we have human nature that sometimes drags us down. How else can we grow in faith? James, the first chapter, James 1, and uh, verse 22. There are those who were faith Christians, apparently, and those who were deeds Christians, Christians, and uh, James is addressing that issue, James 1 and verse 22, and you sh- I hope you have this marked in your Bible, if you don't, you should, James 1, 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, Jeremiah seventeen nine. the heart is a sequel above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of a man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And, of course, true religion is outlined here in the next two verses. If any one among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, This one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Let's turn to uh, James, uh, the second chapter. So we must be doers of the word, and as we obey God, as we practice his way of life, God will give us more faith. James 2, verses 14 through 26. Faith without works is dead. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? That's the classic question. Just believe, and that's all there is. Or is it? There are times to stand still, as God said to Moses and the Israelites at the Red Sea, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. So there are times in our lives when we can't do anything and we know we just have to pray and ask God to intervene. But then what did God say to Moses after he said stand still? Go forward (laughs) and go through the, the Red Sea once it's open. So there are times to stand still, there are times to go forward. There are times you just sit and think and believe and there are other times that you must take action. And James is addressing this issue. Can faith save him if just he just has faith with no works? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, I've got faith, you just depart, be warned, and be filled. Is that, good? is that good faith? No, that's not God's kind of faith. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, And I have works. In other words, you're a faith Christian, you're a works Christian. Show me your faith, James says, without your works, if that's possible, and I will show you my faith by my works. Here is genuine faith that translates into action and godly works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Do you not know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Now he gives the example of Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Well, of course, it wasn't the works by itself, but it was the faith that the works demonstrated. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect? And the Scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Now, Galatians and Romans quote the scripture that Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for him for righteousness. But James is the only one that gives the extra clarification about faith with works. You see then, verse 24, that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Then he gives the example of Rahab. Verse 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Abraham, we've referred to him as the father of faithful, of the faithful, although that expression uh, is not uh, exactly the same in the Bible. But let's take a look at that in Romans, the fourth chapter, because there are degrees of faith. There are degrees of conversion. You know, we've, someone may have God's spirit. He says, quench not the spirit." And some may be quenching the Spirit and not be as deeply committed and fully spiritually mature as they should be. Romans, the fourth chapter, here in uh, verse 19. Romans 4 and verse 19. And not being weak in faith. Remember Christ, the the Lord, the uh, Eternal that visited uh, Sarah and Abraham, or Abram, promised that they would have a baby. And it was 24, 25 years later, was it, when uh, they had the child? And not being weak in faith, what? Verse 19, not being weak in faith. How many of us, don't raise your hands, how many of us are weak in faith? We all can grow in faith. We need to build an atmosphere of faith. That was Mr. Meredith's sermon three weeks ago or so. Not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 21, I hope you've got that marked as a definition of faith. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, what God had promised, God was also able to perform. So all you have to do is ask the question, has God promised it? And if he has, it's up to you to claim that promise, to believe it, and trust in God to bring it about. There is the, uh, again, the matter of faith and works that James talked about. I meant to uh, give you this comment, so I will back up a moment here. Because most of you know the argument, is it law or grace? And James is addressing the question, is it faith or works? That's the either-or fallacy. And I've mentioned it to spokesman clubs before, and I think in sermons about S.I. Hayakawa and his English textbook on uh, language uh, language and thought and action. And he talks about the two-valued orientation, which leads people astray. It's either-or. You know, Hitler used that strategy in in, uh, in his rise to power. So either you are a member of the Nationalist Socialist Party or... You are a traitor to Germany. Either or. It's a fallacy. You could still be a patriot of Germany and not be a member of the Nazi party. But the either or fallacy confuses and deceives people from time to time. And so the law or grace is another one of those deceptions. It isn't law or grace. It's grace and God's law written on our hearts and minds in the New Covenant. And so Barclay Uh, brings that uh, whole issue here. Not either or, but both and. This is uh, the letters of James and Peter, William Barclay uh, commentary. A very good set of commentaries, by the way. We don't uh, obviously subscribe to all of it. He says, The objectors view that faith and works are alternative expressions of the Christian religion. James will have none of it. It is not a case of either faith or works. It is necessarily a case of both faith, and works. In many ways, Christianity is is falsely represented as an either-or when it must properly be both-and. Well, I'm amazed that William Barclay uh, supports that and agrees that. It is the well-proportioned life that must be thought and action. It is tempting and it is common to think that one may be either a man of thought or a man of action. The man of thought will sit in his study thinking great thoughts. The man of action will be out in the world doing great deeds, but that is wrong. The thinker is only half a man unless he turns his thoughts into deeds. He will scarcely even inspire men to action unless he comes down into the battle and shares the arena with them. In the well-proportioned life, he goes on to give another example, thought and action. In the well-proportioned life, there must be prayer and effort. Again, it is tempting to divide men into two classes, the saints who spend life secluded on their knees in constant devotion and the toilers who labor in the dust and the heat of the day, but it will not do. And then he finally addresses the uh, issue, in any well-proportioned life there must be faith and deeds. It is only through deeds that faith can prove and demonstrate itself and it is only through faith that deeds will be attempted and done. Faith is bound to overflow into action, and action begins only when a man has faith in some great cause or principle which God has presented to him. So it's not either or, it's both and. Faith and works. We have to work while it is day. John the ninth chapter, if you'll turn there. <clears throat> John the ninth chapter. God expects us, to bear fruit. Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. But herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. That's John 15, I believe, verse 8. John the ninth chapter. Here a man who was born blind receives his sight. John 9 and verse 1. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Now notice this, verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So we have a responsibility to work while it is day, because night comes when we will not be able to work. Of course, Christ wants us to be the lights of the world, as it says in Matthew 5.14. You are, let's turn there, you are the light of the world, Matthew 5.14, because again, it ties in with fruit, with deeds, with works, that uh, works cannot save a person at all, uh, give you salvation but they are the fruit of godly faith. Matthew, the fifth chapter, and verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now again, Christ is not contradicting himself when later he says to do your charitable deeds not to be seen of men, chapter 6, but you are to bear fruit that your light shines that people can't help but seeing your light. There's an old saying, it is better to light one candle than to curse the dark. And you might consider yourself as a candle. Well, I think you should be better than a candle a flashlight or a strobe light or something that is beaming. Because if each of us is a man or a woman of faith, then we can grow to be a light in this world and we can have a community of faith. Will you be a candle or will you be a light in the world, to the world? And if each of us grows in faith, we will build an atmosphere of faith with God's help and inspiration. You know, when uh, I told my mother... We grew up in a Protestant church, and when I told her that one day, I came back and I said, uh, I'd been reading the Plain Truth magazine, listening to Mr. Herbert Armstrong over the radio, over WVA, or I think it was in Virginia, West Virginia, that was in Connecticut, and hear through the static. And I had studied enough to know that I had to start keeping the Sabbath, and I committed to the Sabbath, and I knew it was going to be a little difficult. And I said, well, Mom, I've been studying now, and... I'm going to start keeping the seventh-day Sabbath. And she said, well, she says, that's Jewish. And she began to cry. And I was tempted to say, Mom, don't cry. But that was a microsecond where that thought came into my mind. Mom, don't cry. I won't keep the Sabbath. That was, that was less than a microsecond that thought flashed through my mind. And I think God inspired me to say, well, Mom, the whole world needs to Change. And it needs to start with me. Now, you know, that could be a cliché, but I meant it at the time. I meant that I had to change my life. And each one of us is a part of the body of Christ. We're all members of a family. And if each one of us grows in faith, we can help one another. We can radiate the light of God's truth. Certainly we need uh, vision, but we need to be humbling ourselves as well as we... Approach the Passover and making commitments that we will seek god 's kingdom above all else and his righteousness, so we are preparing for the Passover. We do need to examine ourselves, as uh, Dr. Winneil mentioned in the sermonette, but uh, the current march April living church news uh, the letter from dr. Meredith is appreciate we must appreciate christ 's sacrifice, and I know even after I was baptized, I remember one time being very, very ill, stomach upset, etc., etc., etc. I won't describe the etc., but I know I was miserable and uh, finally got anointed and felt better. And I really appreciated that point, realizing if I'm this miserable just with this sickness, what did Christ experience? And I really started to feel a, a kinship a deeper appreciation for Christ's suffering for me because I was healed of that fairly fairly quickly afterwards. But on this fast day, we need to humble ourselves and need to confess our sins. Confess your sins. Have you confessed any sins? Why should I confess any sins? Because you're preparing for the Passover. And if you've gone through all 12 uh, areas of self-examination, in our current uh, Living Church News. You will realize, yes, I have sinned. I have committed sins. I have neglected to do good things. I have sins of omission as well as sins of commission. There are things I should have done that I didn't, and that was a sin. And since I was going to ask you today, you know, have you confessed any sins today? Maybe you haven't. I doubt that many of you have. But... I would suggest that you do before sunset tonight. And when I started thinking of that this morning, I needed to confess my sins. Turn to 1 John 1, by the way. I thought, oh, things started coming into my mind. How have I sinned? And I began A, B, C, D, E, and F. I'm going to tell you what A, B, C, D, and F is. But, you know, you begin to examine yourself, asking yourself some tough questions or some straightforward questions. And it was very helpful for me to confess my sins this morning before God because it shows you what you need to change. It also helps you to appreciate that you can be forgiven of your sins. 1 John 1 and verse 9. Okay. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, perhaps you've not examined yourself to see your sins. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. As I pointed out in previous sermons, we are free from practicing sin. And truly, if we think about Romans, uh, the seventh chapter, Romans eighth chapter. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. No condemnation. That's Romans 8 and verse 1. Why? Because you're in a repentant, repentant attitude. That's why. And you're in a faith attitude that says, I know that God will forgive me if I truly repent. And I know that's difficult for some people who've had problems. So I, I don't think God can forgive me. Well, they're lacking, perhaps need counseling, but perhaps lacking one or two things. One, that they aren't really accepting their guilt, and secondly, not believing that God will forgive them, or not being committed to change. Because sometimes we can have guilt feelings and not really uh, determine that we're going to change. And you won't feel that you're forgiven. But if you want to change, and you picture the very blood of Christ, because what does it say in verse 7? 1 John 1, verse 7, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So I want to encourage all of you, brethren, to be confessing your sins, to be examining yourself, to ask yourself, how have I sinned? And of course, we need a forgiving attitude as well, as we heard in the announcements today, Dr. Winnell's. Commentary in the World Ahead, dated uh, March 26th, 2009. Can you forgive? Is there someone we need to forgive, he asks. Is there someone to whom we need to apologize or from whom we need to ask forgiveness? The capacity to forgive is a godly quality and one of the marks of a true Christian. So we need to examine ourselves about uh, forgiveness. Forgiveness. But can we live each day by faith? We're humbling ourselves. We need to grow in faith. Can we live each day by faith? Let's turn to Matthew, the sixth chapter, Matthew 6. And uh, I think uh, most of you are doing very well out here. I only see four people sleeping. And (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Of course, I anyone have a glass of water? <laughs> this is uh, mm, hard to read here. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Can you live today by faith? There are many problems that we face tomorrow, and yes... The prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself, but the foolish pass on and are punished. Yes, we need to see the problems of the future, but we need to act on the, the instant priorities of the day. Let's turn to uh, 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, 2 Corinthians 4. Do you look at each day as a new opportunity? 2 Corinthians four 16. We're talking about living by faith. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16. If you've totally surrendered your life to God, you're in His hands. You know, it's—I uh, was looking for the old uh, cartoon. I couldn't find it, but I think I can share with the, with you enough, as I recall. Uh, non sequitur is a one-block comic strip, and and uh, sometimes uh, not very good. Sometimes it has something that's pretty good, and this one was captioned "The Battle of the Prophets." And here they are in the street corner, the stereotypical prophet with the long robe, you know, and carrying the sign, the end of the world. And one of them says, Repent, this may be the last day of your life. And then the other guy in the other corner coming the other way says, Rejoice, this is the first day of the rest of your life. (laughs) So, it's so true. Both of those are so true. We all need to make sure that we are in God's grace that we've repented, we've got a repentant attitude every day of every hour. We're, we're not, we're human. So we have to consciously seek God and ask for repentance, but at the same time, we can rejoice that not only is today the first day of the rest of our life, but today is the first day of the rest of eternity for most of us. It may be interrupted by a sleep in the grave, but today is the first day of the rest of eternity for us. 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, and verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. And I think about fasting three days years ago. I would not find that very easy today in my old age, <clears throat> giving that as an excuse. <laughs> Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And the Apostle Paul gone, had gone through all these Trials, beatings, day and night in the deep, and uh, left for dead. And he says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We need to be renewed day by day. The expression, the just shall live by faith, occurs three times in the New Testament. I won't turn there. Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and Hebrews 10.38. We are men and women who must live by faith, but we renew that faith. We renew the inner man day by day. And I hope that each of us can live by faith. And we face those challenges every day. There are big challenges and small challenges I'll just share a small one with you that I just happened to find in my Ambassador College file. I was uh, teaching a class, and one student—I uh, guess I gave the opportunity to uh, give feedback—and he'd taken this test, an hour-long test, and he was complaining in a sense, respectfully. He said, "To do real just uh, justice to this test," he wrote me, "I think a bit more time is essential." might I respectfully suggest that it was a bit much to accomplish in a one-hour time period. So this was his, uh, his criticism of me. And this is what I answered him. His name was not Sam. Sam, thank you for your suggestion. However you did real justice, quote-unquote, to the test, you tied for second highest out of 67 students. So I'm trying to give him some encouragement. Yes, it was, quote, a bit much, end of quote, to accomplish, and you did accomplish it. A test should be challenging, not easy. You met the challenge. Also, a test at AC, as approved as opposed to other colleges, I could take that out perhaps, is a test of character. Is the student acknowledging God and taking the test? Proverbs 3 verses 5 through 7. Acknowledge God in all your ways and He'll direct your paths. Colossians 3.17 Whatever we do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So I asked him um, the question, is the student acknowledging God and taking the test? Does the student trust Christ, parentheses, instead of leaning to his own understanding, parentheses closed, that he will be blessed by doing the best he can even if the same test were given in half the allotted time you had. <laughs> that expression did you know, it was just... I added the uh, verbal expression. I hope, Sam, you will continue to do the best you can while trusting Christ for your reward. The tests of life, e.g., example, Genesis 22, Abraham sacrificing his son... The tests of life given by God are much tougher than this one. Sincerely, and I sign my name. So we have tests in life, and we just have to do the best we can under the circumstances. We can pray that the circumstances will change, but if they don't, we still live by faith, and we still do the best that we can. But we're looking for more than that. We're looking for signs and wonders and gifts of the Holy Spirit. So as we grow in faith, and as we strive to live each day by faith, what can we expect in the future? We can expect that Christ will continue to open doors for the preaching of the gospel. You know Revelation 3.7, where Jesus said, He who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. And He has the key of David. We can expect that the gospel will be preached around the world. Matthew 24, verse 13. Let's turn to Mark 16, verse 14, which... Mr. Meredith quoted in his announcement about the fast, Mark the 16th chapter, Mark 16. And here it's listed in the New King James Bible with a subhead, the Great Commission. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. So we need to pray for those signs that they will increase. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 20, as I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. So as I mentioned earlier, I want to encourage all of you to pray for signs, wonders, miracles, and healings. Why? to support the gospel, to get the work done. Let's notice in Hebrews, the second chapter, that all of those terms, that is, signs, wonders, and miracles, are mentioned here about Christ in Hebrews, the second chapter. Hebrews 2. And we've had those from various, various times in uh, the church history. We just need more of them. Hebrews 2 and verse 1. Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels prove steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience receives a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him? Again, we need to be dedicated, committed. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders with various miracles, signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His will. So again, God bore witness with Christ with signs, wonders, and miracles, and of course, many, many examples in the Gospels of healings. And then, of course, the apostles also had those signs, wonders, and healings later on. Uh, Just turn over to Acts 6 and verse 8, and here was one who was not an apostle, uh, Stephen. And Stephen, uh, who was the first martyr, was full of faith and power. He was ordained as one of the first deacons. Acts 6 and uh, verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did wonders and signs among the people. So there's example after example. Philip uh, in Acts 8 and verse 13 uh, did miracles and signs, and uh, on and on throughout the book of Acts as you read that. So, brethren, pray for signs, wonders, miracles, and healings, and pray for spiritual gifts. Let's turn to First Corinthians twelve. 1 Corinthians twelve. God has given each one of us different aptitudes, different abilities, and different spiritual gifts. First Corinthians, the twelfth chapter, starting with verse one. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, or spirituals, as it is in the Greek, Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however uh, you were led. And then he goes on later on here to show those various gifts. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, that is, and mean it, and bear the fruits of His Lordship over us. Verse 4, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. And we are members of the body. Each of us is a different personality. Each of us has different aptitudes, abilities, and gifts. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. It's the body of Christ that he goes on to talk about here in verse 12 but verse 8 for one is to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit to another the word of knowledge through the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts plural gifts of healings by the same spirit to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits to another different tongue kinds of tongues or languages to another the interpretation of tongues verse 11 But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. So God has given to each one of us certain talents, abilities, and spiritual gifts. And again, we need to ask God to help you to identify the gifts He's already given you. And then pray that God will give more spiritual gifts to His church and His ministry. We've been fasting on this day, but we need to persevere to the end. (laughs) And uh, the end for some of you is at uh, 741. I know. (laughs) But uh, let's turn to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, the faith chapter. No, we have to persevere in seeking God, which we're doing in a special way today. You know the definition of faith is uh, Hebrews 11.1, and for many years the address of the Radio Church of God and the Worldwide Church of God was Post Office Box 111, Pasadena, California. Well, you say that's just coincidence, but I think there's meaning behind that. Hebrews 11.1, we've always said the work is a work of faith. And I just noticed incidentally, maybe just coincidental, that Dr. Meredith's sermon, which is being played today around the world, is one hour and 11 minutes. So maybe that's just coincidental. Hebrews 11, sorry, Hebrews 11 and verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, or some say the assurance. In other words, if you have assurance, you have confidence, you have knowledge, that's, that's a way of describing the faith. But he tells us in verse 6, as you all know, Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we look throughout the chapter. I don't have time to go through the 11th chapter, the chapter of faith with men and women of faith. And after you read that chapter, he tells us in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, that we have a great cloud of witnesses. And therefore, these witnesses symbolically, they aren't really watching us now, but symbolically, these this cloud of witnesses are looking at us. Let us therefore lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that was set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Remember the vision that we had. Dr. Meredith last great day sermon on vision. We all need that vision. Despising the shame is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we have the perfecter of our faith, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one that we look to. And as we do that, we will grow in faith. So brethren, let's look forward to the Passover. No, no, don't put your books away yet. Calm down, calm down. (laughs) (laughs) oh oh, oh, caught you (laughs) caught you so as we look to whoa I remember I guess it was the Feast of Tabernacles people are starting putting their books away I said wait a minute I'm not through someone reminded me of that the other day all right listen okay listen We need to look forward to the Passover with a positive attitude. Jesus said in Luke 22, verse 15, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So I hope that we all have a positive attitude towards the Passover, that we take it with faith and great and deep appreciation. God has given us a wonderful mission, a mission far beyond what human beings could have as a project or as a goal or as a career. We're called to be a witness to God's way of life to the world. We're called to prepare the way for the greatest event since creation. We are called to train as kings and priests and to be a light to the world. Jesus said in Luke 12:43, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. I believe that most of us are doing that. We need the passion for continuing to fulfill the work and the mission He's given us. So let's each of us pray for God's Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. Pray for signs, wonders, miracles, and healings. Pray that God can use you and your spiritual gifts, the gifts that He's already given you. And let each of us grow in faith and in love and charity. And then if we do that, God will build a greater atmosphere of faith. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'll conclude with Dr. Meredith's comments in his February 20th announcement of the fast. Quote, Therefore, as I mentioned above, having consulted with a number of members of our Council of Elders and with others, I am calling for a church-wide fast for all of God's people on the Sabbath of March 28th. I am sure God will bless us encourage us, and empower us in His service if we unitedly give ourselves over to seeking Him in this day of fasting and continue to seek Him more than ever, more than ever before, as the end draws closer and closer. Thank you, dear brethren, for your prayers and your support.